You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Forest. I'm your host, Cameron Lemons Debro. I mean, it wasn't the worst weekend in Wake Forest Sports. I mean, this this weekend definitely was not an enjoyable one for Wake Forest Sports, whether it's you know the big the big ones in basketball and football, or if you're looking down towards not down, but if you're looking at you know soccer, volleyball, cross country, I mean, they did all right. It was not a fun weekend for Wake Forest Sports. You know, starting off, we'll obviously start off with Wake Forest men's basketball team, then kick it over to football, and we'll have a little bit of a mailbag. I don't, I'm not really going to sit here and belabor, you know, the ass whooping that was a 45 to seven loss against Notre Dame. Um, the mailbag will take care of a lot of stuff I want to talk about for the football team moving forward. But with the basketball team, you know, you went one and two this weekend, lost Utah 77 70. Beat Towson 71-61 in a game that was a lot closer than it really should have been because rebounding. And then lost in overtime to LSU 86-80. I thought that I always loved the numbers because I, I you know, an overtime loss is not exact. They, they didn't get blown out in overtime. They lost by six in overtime. But that affected them a lot more than losing to Utah did in you know, Ken Palm and stuff. And I always just think that's that's hilarious that you can go to overtime and then just get crippled by it in a game that you aren't favored in, in general. But, yeah, I mean, three up, three down. Obviously, going to start with down. Down number one is, I mean, you you had two opportunities to really, you know, pad a resume, and you, you didn't do it. You had the game against Utah where, and I think Utah is going to be a very, very, very good team. And they were very much hanging in with Houston. St. John's, I think, is going to be a solid team. They're just really trying to get figure out who they are at this point. I think Utah is going to be an absolute problem when it comes to the Pac-12. I mean, they're a, they're a for sure tournament team. I shouldn't say for sure because, you know, I thought LSU was one last year and then they ended up losing every close game they were, they were in. But I, I I think this this Utah team is going to be an absolute problem. I, I thought they were voted too low in the Pac-12 you know, preseason polls and – you know, you had that team on the ropes. I mean, you, I mean, granted, part of it was because of you know, being unsustainable. I think Wake Forest started out, I think it was our seven for eight or eight for nine from the three-point line. And while I think this team is, is shooting a lot better than I expected from behind the arc without Damari Monsanto and, and even without Parker Friedrichson being, you know, a 40% shooter right now, I think he's shooting about 28%. You know, they 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 were shooting very unsustainably, and that helped them get out to that lead that they have going into halftime, the 41 and 31 lead. You know, I am a little bit shocked that more teams aren't running zone against Wake. And you know, Utah went to that and you know, Wake panicked. Like Wake panicked a lot when it came to that. And that was a little depressing. Not depressing, but that was that was frustrating, I would say. That was a little more frustrating the fact that I mean, we we know they practice against zones. Like that's a they, they don't. It's not what Kenny Payne's doing over at Louisville, where he apparently didn't know that 
that Mike Woodson would ever go to zone ever. Like you got to practice against that, Kenny. But yeah, I, I mean, Wake and Forbes said, yeah, we practiced against it like the day before. So, you know, a little, little disappointing and frustrating that they kind of freaked out there. But you kind of knew they were going to come back down to earth from three point shooting because they were just shooting just an obscene number. <laughs> but I mean, and, you know, against LSU, I mean, you were, you got your asses whooped the first half. And I mentioned it on Twitter. And I think that, uh, I think that halftime speech was maybe five or six words of a stop being little bitches out there. I mean, they, they played soft. They were just kind of getting punked and they, they were getting, there it wasn't even really schematically a whole lot of stuff going off. They were just genuinely getting punked and, you know, they started, you know, playing tougher and sometimes like sports isn't that hard. Like, you know, I'm, I'm all in the analysis of just like, you know, like love to play calling this and that sometimes it's just do like, just be better. Like just play better. Occam's razor, simple, simple explanation usually works there. And you know, Towson, you know, I, I, I didn't like the fact that you didn't get a lead there for a while, but and by a while, I mean what until the you didn't lead against Towson after nineteen twenty two. You were down for for a majority of that game. Like that, that can't happen against Towson. Right? Granted, you know you ended up pulling away and you know, being fine, but dude, <laughs> like not. I don't want to like disrespect him. Like that's probably going to be a Towson is probably going to be a, Q, a Q3. Like that's fine. That's not. That's not one you you should be you know playing with your food. And I think they play with their food because and partially because you know. They were without Afton Reed, they were without Matthew Marsh, who's still out with concussion. I'm not necessarily sure if he'll be there against Charleston Southern. I wouldn't mind it, honestly, if he didn't play against Charleston Southern, not because I I definitely think they do need him. But it's one of those things that I mean they're I mean they're 344 in Ken Palm. This is one where they're they're a worse team than Elon. Like they they are a worse team than Elon. This is one that you should kind of roll over on, you know. I would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be terribly upset if you tried to let Zach Keller get some more confidence in a game like this. Um, we'll get to Zach in a little bit, but you know, the big part of it, and, and down number two, is the fact that you guys just got out rebounded. Like you let people get offensive rebounds left and right. It, it continuously felt like whenever you missed shots, you guys just didn't get second chance opportunities like ever. There was obviously some that's hyperbole, but yeah, you, it felt like whenever you, you missed a shot, that was just the end of possession. And then whenever any other team, and especially you know, LSU and, and Utah, I felt like they had two, three, a thousand two, felt like they had two, three, four opportunities, opportunities to score on possessions. And, you know, that's, that's frustrating. And, you know, there's a reason for that. You know, Zach Keller just isn't a five. I think he's going to be a solid four, but he's just not a five. And, you know, Andrew Carr, I think just spent a ton of his energy on defense and, you know, that hurt in terms of rebounding. And sometimes you leave shots short. It's going to be unsustainable if they don't get at least one of those guys back before Florida and Rutgers. And, but I think that also points towards the guards as well. I mean, Cam, you kind of expect to be a better rebounder than he was in this in this MT. I don't. I mean, you don't need him to have a double double, but I mean, throughout the games, he had he had nine against LSU, which I mean helped them come back. Zero against Towson and five against Utah. You know, that's you know, the five is a little bit probably where you need him to be there, but you know, you can't have a game where he has zero. Salas same sort of way four, four and two, you know, I think he needs to be around, especially without Marsh and without Captain Reed and you're dealing with Keller there as, as your five, you can't have a game where you have two rebounds. You can't have a game where, I mean, I, you need to be around, you know, probably six rebounds. Like, you got to be better about that. So that's, I, I'm a little more disappointed in the guards rebounding than I am, you know, Zach Keller rebounding just because I think Zach Keller is just not a five. I mean the third the third down. I mean if there is a third down in this one, 
was that I, I thought that the offense just got a little bit stagnant from time to time. Like, I thought they, there are times there are probably, you know, spurts of, you know, five, six minutes where it was like, wow, this offense was just really, really good. And I mean, they shot like they shot pretty outside of the second half of Utah. They shot the ball decently well. For me, it's the more of the, you know, those, and not every game's going to be perfect, but you, you would have spurts of three to four minutes where turnovers would be there. And, you know, it, it just felt like they were, it was just bad shots, like, like reverting back to what they were doing against Utah. That's, that's something that can't happen when you, when you start playing in an ACC play. You know, some of these teams are going to be better than you expected. I think Louisville looks a little better than I expected from the eye test. Boston College looks solid. But yeah, I this is it's something that I you gotta you gotta fix that. And you know, part of it I think might be because a guy like Andrew Carr is just tired and you can't really drop sets for him right now. He's he's exhausted. And he was exhausted that weekend. And you know, Hunter Salas and Cameron shooting threes better than I expected. But right now it's like Especially if Boopy's on the on on the bench, like that's your offense right now. It's just Cam and Hunter go do something, and you know I think Marcus Mary can be you know better in the future. I think I saw some bright spots there, but Parker's not really shooting as well as you would hope right now. He's a freshman. I'm not really worried about him. He's a, he's a freshman, like, but he's not shooting as well as I thought he would be at this juncture. Um, you know, Zach Keller's been fine when you asked him to shoot. Bramo hasn't been good right now, which is a little surprising that he's not, hasn't been as good because I mean, you know he was solid the summer, so it's a little surprising. But yeah, you your offense right now, especially if Boopy is not on the floor, is Cam Hunter go do something, and I think that just makes it a little bit too stagnant. I'm actually putting Zach Keller as an as an up because. I mean, like, I think we've finally started figuring out what he is. And I think that's not knowing what someone is versus being like, why isn't he playing is, you know, two different, two different things. I think now we've started to learn more and more. Yeah. I, I, if he can continue the confidence and he show, I, he battled so hard. Like he, he battled hard. He played solid defense. You know, the rebounding could, could be better, but again, he's just not a five. You know, I thought he shot well when asked to. I honestly think he could be someone that, you know, spells Andrew Carr and allows you to keep Carr fresh and you're not sitting out there, you know, holding your breath every five seconds. Like he didn't have any, just, he wasn't being dumb. What he did against UJ was dumb. You know, when, he, when he sat there and turned the ball over and just kind of stared at it and then, you know, let Blue Kane just do what he needed, do what he wanted to do. That's dumb. But dude, like, a, go get the ball. <laughs> he didn't have those moments against, you know, any of the three teams, you know, he had moments where he wasn't good. No, that's, that's two different things. He had moments where he wasn't good when he just was out where he was outmatched. But again, he's just not playing the position. He's not in a position where he, he should be to be able to succeed. Like he's a four. He's going to be, he's going to be a four moving forward. If I had to guess in terms of when you get Matthew Marsh back, if you get it, F10 Reed, you know, that allows Keller to, Keller should be more of your lineup of, you know, you're you're playing small ball if he's at the five, and you can't play small ball the entire game. So, but I, I was encouraged with what I saw from him. I thought he was actually, he, he's playable now. It wasn't just like, oh no, like he's he's fine, he can absorb it. I thought he was actually playable. I thought Marcus Marion showed a lot of stuff that, you know, you were like, okay, if you look back, look, look forward in, in February and March, and he's you know, it, it feels like Bobby all over again. If you look at though, if you look at some of the stuff he did and you look in February, March, and he's out here having that sort of Bobby transcendence of, oh, this dude's going to be an absolute guy. I don't think you should be surprised. And I think a lot of the stuff he did in this MT showed you. I think he, again, I think he kind of learned from being kind of dumb in the UGA game. He's a freshman. It happens. But, I mean, he had some quality, quality, quality minutes, some quality rebounds, uh, plays solid defense. And, you know, I, I think he he's a freshman. And I think when Damari comes back, you know, he's going to be someone that hurts a bit because, I mean, between him and Parker, those two are definitely going to suffer some minutes just because, I mean, you know, he's going to have he's got to earn it. 
he's gonna have to earn his medicine. I mean, unless Marcus becomes a better shooter, Demar just does a lot of stuff better than him at this point. So, but I, I liked what I saw about Marcus Berrien. And honestly, I'm pleasantly surprised about how well this team is shooting three pointers without Parker doing well and how and Demar. Salas is 42, almost 43% of the year. Boopy, Boopy's a little lower than I thought at 30, at 31.6. Cam's at 40, basically 43. Carr is tired. He's at 31.3 and you can tell he is tired. I think he'll be, he'll be fine when you get to Charleston Southern, but you need to get Marky Marsh back. But I, I'm pleasantly surprised at the three point shooting because I thought that would be a very, very, very big hindrance for this team until either Parker decided, not decided, but Parker grew up a little bit and Damari got back, but they've been holding their own as a team. And, you know, Hunter and Cam are shooting a lot better than I thought. That's an eventually, I think that's eventually going to come down. It's not, I don't want to throw cold water on that, but I don't know if someone like Hunter just goes from being a guy that was in the, you know, mid 20s to a 43% shooter. I don't know if that jump is stable or just I don't I don't know if that was if that's something where you're like okay, I expect this. And you know, same thing with Cam. Cam was a you know, Cam's gotten better as the years have gone on. He was 27.6 in his freshman year, 32.8 last year. So I mean, I expect a jump, but I don't know if I expect a over 10%. I don't know if I expect him to jump from 32% to uh, 42, 42, almost 43%. I don't want to say that's a 10% increase because that's not how percentages work. But yeah, I, I don't, uh, I think it ends up hovering around, you know, 37, 38, which is still really good. Like being a 37, 38% three point shooter is a very, very, very good mark. So I think it still comes down, but if it doesn't, I'm sure, man, you have this, you had Damari back to the fold. Let's, let's cook. I said this after the UGA game, and I mean, I think it still rings true for you know the last three games, even the one, even the one they won. This team desperately, desperately, desperately needs and Damari Monsanto and or Efton Reed. You know, I think you can make your own decisions there of which one's more important, which one's not. I think that I think depending on the game. It could make a difference. You know, I thought in like the UGA game, I think in UGA and maybe Utah, especially when Utah went to the zone, having Damari probably is probably the better one. But against Towson and against LSU, an F10 Reed would probably have been, you know, more important there. And I think that just kind of shows, you know, where this team's at. I think they have some really, really good guard play. And I think whenever those guards are shooting well, you know, you really wish he had a guy like Afton Reed to to just kind of just be a defensive presence, get rebounds whenever he whenever he can, maybe add a little more scoring, it's fine. We have a game like, you know, UGA where you went on a cold streak or the second half of Utah where they went to his own and you just couldn't bust it. You know, having a guy like Damari who can shoot from literally anywhere and you and you have to send a lot of attention to him, I think that really helps there so I, it's it's not just a one or the other i, th- I think both of them co- both of them end up, wouldn't have complimented each other very well damari still you know december guy you know you're knock on wood that it's not you know going to be another setback i don't think there will be when we're closing in on december it is november 20th as i'm recording this if you want a timestamp, it is halftime of the chiefs and eagles game Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. 
Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Afton, which is going to get to our mailbag a little bit. So if you don't know, do a mailbag probably once a month on doing Deacon Digest. I love doing these. Maybe everyone has questions. I love answering them. Someone asked in the mailbag that, and I didn't want to find it because it was specifically about one F10 read. And I want to make sure I get his actual. Yeah. So if you were a betting man, does F10 Reed's transfer appeal get accepted? So I wanted to start with this one because it's kind of a fun segue between, you know, basketball and football. And, you know, I want to start here. And two, because I mean, I don't want a monologue, but there's there's some there's some stuff to be said here. I I don't think it will matter if I'm being real honest on this waiver stuff. So if I am just again, just kind of time stamping this. Yesterday, well, t- I guess today, um, Aziz Mandego, he is a center that came from Utah Valley that went to Cincinnati. And, you know, he was someone that I know Wake Forest fans saw last year at Utah Valley and was an absolute behemoth. Needed, he, was, he was on the second waiver and ended up at, at excuse me, on the second team, ended up in Cincinnati. And got his both his waivers tonight he got his waiver tonight and got the appeal tonight you know there's a lot of mental health stuff going on from from his perspective at least from that's from what he put out there's mental health stuff going on both at utah valley also you know just in general with the waiver process he moved closer to his support system that's in ohio but i thought it was really interesting the fact that both his waiver and appeal got denied and it took legal action for them to actually give him the waiver. I understand whenever fans are saying, you know, they'd love for Steve Forbes to make a stink out of this publicly, similar to what, because if you, if you look at it from just the outside, it looks like, you know, Mac Brown made a stink, got his waiver, got, got Taz's waiver after a couple of games, you know, Wes Miller has made a stink. He made a stink. He's made a stink multiple times. He made another stink yesterday where he was saying that one of his players that they submitted his appeal in August, they heard back essentially in October about him being denied for the appeal. They sent the appeal back in October and the NCAA told them that it wouldn't be until December before they heard before Cincinnati heard back on the appeal, which is outrageous. You know, in what, probably four to five hours after that you know, thing went a little little viral, the NCAA granted you know one of West Miller's players eligibility. So it you know if you looked at it, and you're like, wow, making a stink works, and I get it, but it's it's not it's not the public stink that the NCAA just could not care less about you what you say in public, could not care less. If that was if that was the case, JMU would be would actually be eligible for a bowl this year. <laughs> I mean, I think they end up getting in a bowl, but that, if that was the case, there have been other people that have made stinks. What the NCAA cares about is getting sued. They they do not they do not care about the court of public opinion. They have zero care interest. You're still going to turn on March Madness. You're still going to turn on Feast Week. You're still going to turn on the uh, bowl week, bowl, the bowl season. They do not care about the court of public opinion. What they care about is they do not think they can be afforded another loss. They do not, I don't know if it's from a monetary standpoint. I don't know if it's from a, they think the empire officially crumbles with one more loss. They do not 
want to be sued. So what happened here, if you haven't kept up to date there, is that Elliot Abrams, the Raleigh attorney, and who just so happens to be the son of a prominent Wake Forest figure, you know, hopped into the Aziz Bendigo case at Cincinnati after he got his waiver denied. Because so uh, how the process is going to work is if you are trying to sue, is you need to go through the steps. You need to go through applying for the waiver, the appeal, and if those two do not work, then you go through the process of you know figuring out legal action there. So I believe Abrams didn't come into this situation until you know the appeal had been denied. Same sort of thing with Tez Walker. I believe I'm, I'm pretty I'm 99 sure that Abrams did not come into that Tez Walker situation until the appeal had been denied. So with that, you know they threatened some legal action privately because no there there is there is chatter about like, hey you know we might express legal legal action but you know, talk's always cheap but behind the scenes yeah they had they were threatening legal action against the ncaa and i think the glaring you know a lot the, the blaring alarm bell that should be going off right now is the fact that the ncaa doesn't want this to go to discovery the ncaa does i i think it'd be probably fine if the ncaa just from like you know maybe you win maybe you lose if the NCAA decided to take one of these things to court and you know got to discovery, which means you know everyone puts all the documents on the table from the player side, you know let's have let's see all the mental health documentation you're saying that you're providing, you know text messages, phone calls, etc. From the NCAA standpoint, you know who are these medical professionals that you're using? You know what's the process? Let's get all these texts and calls from you to see if you're doing anything shady or not. And the fact that they're not going through discovery and like letting people see or a judge see what the process is means they know that they're they know what they're doing is just shady and they know it's there it's pretty likely to lose if you do not want people to see what you're doing and you think you're and or you think you're likely to lose you do not let this go to discovery you do not let it you do not let any you know all the lawyers are not able to see what's what's going on here and so, and I, there was a question someone had yesterday, had today of, and I mean, it's been a question of multiple days, actually, of, you know, why don't more people sue? And sometimes it's just not worth the squeeze. Sometimes people just go like, hey, you know, honestly, like, you know, he's a, he's a good player, but whatever, we'll live the fight another day. Sometimes it's money. Some people just don't, you know, have the funds to go through, you know, a three, four month legal battle. And that's part of the the squeeze is, you know, how long, if this actually does go to court, that's going to take months. Like, it's not just going to be a, oh, we're resolving this in two weeks. Legal proceedings are never, are never quick. You also have some that just know that the case is just kind of garbage. Like guys on Instagram live saying they're going to the best offer guys on Instagram live, just being just kind of idiots about it. So, I mean, there's, there, there are reasons here and there. So when it comes time, this back to Efton Reed, I think Efton Reed's case has a solid shot and it's not just from what Forbes says. So I, I think that it has a, a solid shot. I didn't really have too much of a, eh, when it comes, I didn't, I didn't really have too much of a stink when the original thing got denied, because if you look at the Texas tech players who their coach was fired for being racist to them. So that their coach being racist, co- your coach being racist to you is like pretty defined to a T of this is how you get a waiver those two guys got denied on their first go round. They both got their waivers on the appeal, which to me is why are you doing that? If, if, if it's, if that was something that's not even like questionable of like, Oh no, like what's going on here. It's like, no, like this was like to the T under the, as like, as the letter writes, what you need, what should have, what happens if you needed a waiver and they still didn't get it until the appeal. That's how basically all of these have gone. I, I think it's like, I think the number is like 90, 95, 98% of these, of these waivers are just not getting through on the first go round. Like the NCAA is just saying, just no, we're not doing this, which is dumb. But so I didn't really care that much when it got denied. The appeal is kind of where things really happen. I think there's a solid chance of it. You know, I'd probably put it at plus 150. So still an underdog, but you know, a solid chance. But I don't think it's going to matter because I, Wake's going to fight this. I think they're going to sue. 
I, 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 I think Steve Forbes has had enough of this. I think, I think, I think Wake Forest has had enough of this. I think, especially the fact that the, the, the lawyer doing all this happens to be the son of a Wake Forest person, of a, of a Wake Forest like prominent person. Uh, but I, I do truly think Steve Forbes is just kind of fed up with this. He's fed up with the process, and a lot of the coaches are. The coaches ask for strict for stricter rules on the portal, which I get. You know, it's that's fine. And so in one, in one breath, you can say, hey, yeah, these guys are, in theory, you know, complaining about something they created. On the other side of that, though, is I can see them saying, hey, we want this to be more strict, but like not like this. Like the fact of not only is it just insanely weird and hard to get a waiver because the rules are so like what's defined getting a waiver is so unambiguous. Like it, it's a my doctor says this, this doctor says this. That's not really a thing. Like I don't that's that's weird. Like you're playing people's mental health here. But the timing, the timing is bad. It, the fact that you can have something submitted in August, you know, say you someone misses the first couple of games of the season, like first, you know, game, maybe two, whatever, that's fine. Dude, like if you're pushing for some of these people not to know by conference play, like that's insane. Like you're already annoyed at missing five, six games worth of stuff. People are going to miss double digit games because of this stuff at, at this rate. Like that's not just for tournament hopes, but like that's just an that's an insane process because I ask, what are you doing day to day? Like as the NCAA, what are you doing day to day? The fact that you just why weren't why aren't there why isn't there a special task force, you know, that's dedicate it solely to this that way these people can just churn these out we don't need them not looking these over and not being thorough but the fact that it takes you know two months for you to get a decision and then it's going to take another two two and a half months for you for the appeal that's that's insane like that's that's actually insane and that's not a process that anyone else goes through so i feel i feel solid on the on Repton replaying this year because i think wake forest is going to really 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 i think i think wake is just fed up i think i think they're i think they're fed up back to the mailbag why can't wake ever have a complimentary season in football when the offense and defense are good i mean if if i had that answer i wouldn't be sitting here podcasting i would be making i'd be living out my dreams as a fired coach i want to i i want my children to be a fired division one power five coach because Jimbo Fisher has just got generational wealth because of it. Uh, but on a serious note, I mean, death is probably the biggest issue. It's it has been. It was death and coaching. You know, I the linebacker coach, they they took some gambles on that for a couple of years after Santucci left. And you know, gambles didn't didn't pay off. It it just it just did not pay off. You know, I don't think I don't, I don't think they're bad people at all. It's just they weren't good. And, you know, but you also had a death issue, especially in 2020 and 2021, where 2020, you ran out of safeties. Like you just dead ass just ran out of safeties. Like it was bad. And then Ben, it wasn't even just because of COVID. It was, it was also in like injury as well. 2021, you ran out of corners. Cause that was the year that, you know, you had already lost, you lost. Uh, Kalen, you lost Kobe Davis, and that was like the, a good nickel was like the linchpin of a defense these days. Not just weight, but just in general. If you don't have a good nickel, your defense probably kind of stinks. Um, you lost Kobe Davis for the year, and then you know in that UNC game, Kalen Carson goes down, Gavin Holmes pick comes up comes up lame, and you're just like, man, like this is this is awful. Like, and I know if you go back to what 20 Sawbell was what 2017 2018 uh, Sawbell just wasn't a good coach he he was he was an outside he was a guy that got recommended to Clawson and I Sawbell's a nice guy I, I think he's doing fine at whatever level he's at now last I saw he was at Wyoming a couple years ago but he's just not a P5 defensive coordinator but the biggest issue is just death I mean for 2020 and 2021 like you and honestly last year too you got thin you got real thin and you know there's some unevenness and i think that's reared its, its head a little bit because kaylin I, I know p- people's last impression of kaylin right now and probably their last impression of kaylin this season 
because I don't know how that injury did not look good on Saturday, is Kalen Carson is just, you know, better than everyone else in that corner room. He is just, he is an NFL guy right now. I know I saw some people saying they weren't impressed with him. Kalen Carson is going to be a second or third round NFL pick this year. <laughs> he, people just didn't, people haven't really thrown at him. The times people have seen Kalen, you know, he got quote unquote burned against Georgia Tech. That wasn't on him. That was on the safety. Uh, the safety was supposed to play over him. He made a ton of money against uh, against Keon Coleman. Like that was a back and forth. That was essentially what you see out of NFL style. Is you know he got he got Keon more than a few times. Keon got him, especially on a one handed catch. You were, the hell else I'm supposed to do about that? From talking to scouts, like that would that game earned Kalen. Like that moved Kalen from being you know like maybe a sixth or fifth round guy to like a, a solid third round guy. And I wouldn't be surprised if you know the injury doesn't keep him out. He doesn't play in the senior doesn't play in the senior bowl and you know raise his stock well because he's going to test well. He's going to he's going to test well in basically everything. I think the length might be a little short, like he might be a little shorter arms than you than you'd like. But he's a solid runner. He's strong. He's got good technique. Took a gamble on Saturday at Notre Dame and that just did not pay off. But but you have someone like Kalen that you know, people just aren't throwing at this year. And then you have like you know Deshaun Jones has been fine. He's been up and down. Like he has a ton of picks, but also has gotten burned a few times. That's just, yep. That's why I don't like picks as a, as an indicator of how good someone is. Because why you're throwing at me this much? But it's just the unevenness. Because last year in 2022, when Kalen was out, I mean Gavin and and JJ Roberts just could not defend the ball in the air to save their lives. You know, you know. Granted, Gavin's now a team that's competing for the CFP, and I don't know about playing. A ton of snaps. So he's like some, but it's just a. It's been uneven, and I think that's the same sort of thing on the defensive line, where you know, you basically have to hold your breath if you know, Rondell went down, or this year if Sheen goes down, you're like, oh my god, what's going on here? Linebacker as well. If one, if any of the linebackers had gone down, it was like, oh no, this is this is tough. Death is hard. They just didn't have they didn't have the death, and they started recruiting better, and you know. I think the change of Brad Lambert helped and especially the change of Glenn Spencer has helped in terms of like linebackers. I mean, last year, like, at, like having, having Glenn Spencer has been just, it's, it, it's insane. Like it is absolutely insane. Seeing what, how Ryan Spenda transformed from being, I thought Ryan Spenda was a solid linebacker, but he was insane last year. And like Glenn Spencer and, you know, last year Glenn was kind of, you know, scrambling around for a linebacker just because you know, he was just kind of newer in that in just at the wake role, and you know, never thought people were like, oh, well, you know, is he is is that defense as a whole going to last, et cetera, et cetera? That was a big recruiting tactic people used against them. Was you know, was the entire defensive staff going to get fired? And you know, they ended up with Aiden Hall, who you know he had a rough moment in the Duke in the Duke game and had you know he got burned on a, on a play, but he's also a freshman. But he's had some solid games. Like he, like he played extremely, extremely well against against uh, what was it against NC State? And I thought he played some solid snaps against Florida State. Like Aiden Hall, I mean, he's a freshman. He's not really expected to be a guy out there for a ton of time <laughs> because he's a freshman. But you know, he's he's been fine this year for for what you expect. He's been a solid tackler. Solid pass rusher. The coverage is, you know, here or there. But you know, I thought he was fine against Florida State. Was really fine against. Was really good against against NC State, especially as a tackler. He's going to grow. You know, I don't think Wake Forest went into this season thinking that they'd be on their true freshman linebacker. But when you have Draco Robinson out with his Achilles and Chase Jones out with his concussion, that I I just don't know if Chase is going to play again. You have now Quincy Bryant's out. Like you are, you are just hanging off for dear life. And a true freshman can come in there and, and get some and offer solid snaps. You know, it's not going to be perfect in the early times, especially against a really good team in Notre Dame, where that's just going to be it's going to be rough. But I think Glenn Spencer's doing well. And if you look at his recruiting class, the linebackers they beat out they they haven't beat out obviously you know a UGA or Bama, but they've beaten out some solid classes, some solid teams and for Andrew Hines and Whitman Whaley and for the third one is off the top of my head. Why can I not remember the third one? 
timed way. Oh, and Darius Jones, who's early enrolling from St. Francis. But, and also with Whitman Whaley, and same thing with Jeremy Hecklinski. The offer list that's on, offer list that's on 24-7, I do work there, and it's one of those things of, I know other Power 5 programs have offered them if they decommit. They said, hey, if, if you decommit, we'll give you the offer. Um, it's here. You know, we're working on trying to flipping you. You know, you can announce it if you want. Wake Forest doesn't really like players to announce other offers because uh, it, just, it just sends a bad message, which I understand. So I know other you know CFP contenders that, are, that have checked in and offered those guys. Uh, <laughs> so, and it's not just, you know, a CFP contender. There's people that are, that are, you know, solid eight, nine win programs this year that are, that have been trying to get multiple guys in the Supreme class and they haven't really answered the phone. So yeah, death and a little bit of coaching has been there. And then you turn this year and I mean, I don't, no one expected this. I, I you expected a, a drop off a little bit, but man, no one expected the offense to be this bad. Like it, the fact that you can't you can't pass for 100 yards. I I, I don't think whatever drop off anyone ever expected was you weren't able to pass for 100 yards in multiple games. That's insane. Like that's categorically insane. So, uh, you know, I think you look at you you look at everything this year. I mean, you, you're going to the portal. You're going to get a quarterback. You know, I that the quote. So I asked the question of Dave Clawson on Saturday of you know the short yardage stuff. And, you know, it was really telling to me that it sounded a lot more like a coaching technique issue than it did a player issue. I mean, he mentioned that you know, he said that they, the offensive linemen, they're getting, you feel like they're getting too high and people are getting their, their hands underneath the pads. And it, it was one of those things that when he said it, and the way it said it and everything about it, and I have the, the quote right here of, you know, quote unquote, I just don't think we're coming off the ball of the way we should. That part of it is bad. In 2021, we were really good in short yardage. We took a step back last year and this year. I don't know what the stats are on it, but we're awful in short yardage. So to me, it looks like we're just a little bit high. People are getting their pads under us. And that's one of those things that we've really got to look at as a staff in the offseason of what we're doing and how we're doing it, because you've got to be able to get a yard. And the amount of times that this year we've been able, we haven't been able to convert a short yard situation is unacceptable. I agree completely, completely agree that it's just something we've been really poor at this year and I'm really disappointed. Third and run, third and one, you'd run it twice and you should be able to get a yard against anybody you play. I mean, I agree with it. You should be able to get one yard. But the fact that you're saying, hey, like, you know, we're a little bit high and this has been a two year problem to me sounds like, hey, the person teach either the person teaching this needs to teach a different style or be better at it, or we need to find someone that can teach it better. That's what that tells it to me. Because if it's a two-year issue of we're being hot, we're, we're high, like people and people can get their hands underneath us and we don't, low man wins, that's an issue. But that's not just an issue of the players because offensive line is just one of the one of those places where you know, teaching is just the hardest if it's if the if the message isn't working, it either needs to be a different message or a different messenger. And so that's that's kind of what that tells me, you know. And that's that's been your biggest your bigger issue besides quarterback. Like, like honestly, it's a bigger issue than the quarterback. It's been you haven't had a reliable offensive line in two years. Like you have not had an NFL level guy in, in two years, and that's a problem because you know you'll have your ups and ups and downs of okay, cool, you guys will pass block and run block well for this one. And then, you know, you get two minutes later and it breaks down. No one can build confidence that way. So uh, why can't special teams ever recruit a kicker with enough leg to make 50 yard field goals and boom, kickoffs are the end zone. I hate 50 yard field goals. I don't, I don't care about, I, I, the 50 yard field goals are failures, but those like that's, that's an object failure. Field goals are already failures on drives. Anyways, I don't really care for 50 yarders, 50 plus yarders. Like it is a, it is one of those situations where you're, you're already at like, like where you are in the field already, like that, that just does not, that, that does not like compute to me. 
like a 53 yard field goal, you are, if you miss that, you're giving them solid field position already. It's like basically you gave them a solid, you know, kickoff return. Like that is like, that's like that. Like that's, I don't like that. I don't like, I don't like 50 yard field goals. Now in terms of the kickoffs, I mean, they've been, they've, been kicking off this year pretty fine so i i don't really have an, an issue with that at all they've i don't i'm not gonna say they've they fixed that but because that was that had been you know an issue the last you know few few years but when i'm looking at the actual kicks the actual kicks break this year has been you know it's been they've been better you know i they They've been, yeah, they have a decent amount of touchbacks. I think in touchbacks this year, they have 30, which like it's fine. You're not in the upper echelon, but you're a solid, I think you're, you're about middle of the pack in that. And I, and that to me, that's progress. Tyler Black's been doing a good job. Caleb Carlson's, Carlson's doing a good job. You're about 60th in touchbacks this year. I'm, I'm fine with that. Um, I'd like it to be a little bit better, but. Kickers are head cases, man. Like, you know who's leading the, the country in touchbacks? North Texas. Like, it's, it's it's weird. Louisiana Tech's up there too. Miami Ohio as well. So I I mean I I would love that. And that, you know, I have had my issues with the special teams coordinator. I've made that very clear, but I thought they've done a much better job in terms of you know t- getting touchbacks this year. Now, when it comes to the again, when it comes to the kicking fifty yarders, I I just hate that play in general. I would I'd rather go for it. I just would rather go for it. Is there any world where Clausen gives Hecklinski, Jeremy Hecklinski, the Walford experience with the trial by fire approach, or transfer or other in house guy more likely? Um, both <laughs> is the correct answer. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna get transfer. There is there are two commas available for a transfer. And this is where I am. Oof, this is this is I'm gonna not I'm gonna try not to go on a timid speech here. I'm going to continue, continue, continue to beat the drum that I want people to temper their expectations for a trans for the transfer. They're going to get one, but there's two ways of uh, two things I want to temper. First. You know, I, I saw people saying, you know, the, I want like a starter and like a, a a good backup. Getting a solid backup quarterback might honestly be harder than getting a good, getting a starter. People are in the portal because they want to start. So it's either you get a guy that's like going to be good enough to start or a guy that's just not going to be good at all. There's not, there's really not a, not an in-between year. Ole Miss sat here and got four quarterbacks and to push Jackson Dart. And I don't know if any of them are solid backups at this point for Ole Miss. Backup being a backup court, finding a solid, you know, backup is just is just hard. You know, you can you can scheme your way into it, but uh, it's not something where I mean, you know, the Wake lost NC State, but I mean look at look at state. Uh, you know, Brennan suddenly came alive, but they benched Brennan for MJ Morris. And MJ Moore stunk. Like MJ just flat out stunk. Like he was not good when they when he when he's in his appearances this year. He was just not good. Backups are hard, but you look at who needs a quarterback this year. Notre Dame is going to. It's been all but. It, it's been all all but uh assumed that Notre Dame needs a that needs is going to get a transfer quarterback. Miami is going to be someone very heavily involved in the transfer quarterback. USC uh out west, not out east. Maybe even maybe even I think both USC's could really be in the market for a transfer quarterback because Spencer Rattler's gone this year. But definitely, you know, the Trojans are going to be in the market for one, even with you know Malachi Malachi uh Nelson and Miller Moss out there. You know, those three people are three insane high rollers that are going to need a that are going to need a transfer quarterback. Now, you look at kind of the fringe guys of 
you know, who else might need a quarterback? Does Michigan necessarily need a quarterback? Eh, it, I think JJ McCarthy comes back. You know, I'm, I'm here. If, 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 if Florida state probably does, like I, I think Florida state goes out there and they're a high roller. North Carolina definitely does. Like I, I don't, that's been all but assumed, all but like confirmed that they're going to get a transfer quarterback. Um, Ohio State, maybe. I think Ohio, if a good one presents itself, I think Ohio State would definitely. I think I think if a good one presents itself, they would definitely dump Kyle McCord for a a one year quarterback. Washington, absolutely. Penix is gone, and Washington absolutely. So you have one Washington, two USC, three Florida State, four North Carolina, five Notre Dame. You got five high rollers right there. Now, who's going into the portal? And there's always surprises going into the portal. Like, not everything is, you know, cut and dry right now on November 20th. But, like, out of the rumors, Riley Leonard, Dylan Gabriel, and that's, like, it. (laughs) That's... And like that's it out of your really, 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 you know, your established one-year rental quarterbacks. So then your bigger guys now have to start thinking about are are they going to are they gonna get someone that's not a rental? You also have a guy in the Holy Cross quarterback who if you're not you're not uh, up to date on you know Holy Cross football. Uh, Matthew Sluka, really, really good. Uh, 6'3", 6, 6, 216, you know, threw for like a, a billion yards in his career. I think it's about about 6,000 yards and about 60 touchdowns, ran for 3,500 yards and almost 40 touchdowns. He'd be very, 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 very good. I think he's going to be good. I don't necessarily know if he's going to be some if – if, if I'm Wake Forest, that's the type of guy I want, absolutely. He's a culture fit. You know, I don't think he's going to cost, you know, multiple millions of dollars. Like, I think if a Riley Leonard goes to the portal, he's going to cost $2 million. You know, Michael Pratt's not going to the portal. Jalen Daniels isn't. It. Cam Rising isn't. It. You lost three guys that people thought were going to go to the portal. And that really shrinks the market. You know, does a Notre Dame or Miami or USC go after a guy like Sluka? You know, I'm not necessarily sure if they want to test the waters on a Holy Cross guy. But again, like, how... They're gonna they're gonna want experience. They're not gonna. I don't know how much a Notre Dame is going to want, you know, a Byron Brown if he doesn't. Your USF quarterback that's that's only started for one year because not only are you dealing with someone making a jump up from you know, USF to Notre Dame, you're also having to worry about the rest of your quarterback room in terms of you know what does this do to CJ Carr, They're like a borderline five star they recruited. What does this do to the rest of the quarterback room? Same thing with USC. You know, what does this do with Malachi Nelson or Miller Moss if I bring in someone with you know, three to four years. So I'm not saying that there's going to be, you know, absolutely no one in the portal, but there's a, there's a lack of, of, of names that are going to be in the portal that are solid experienced names. So I'm curious of what Wake Forest does in terms of actually, you know, do they actually go after just a, you know, a one-year guy in a Taquan Finn, or you know, I, again, I think Matthew. If Matthew Suka does not follow his head coach, is someone that is rumored to be, you know, going to a bigger job this year. You know, hint, hint, Syracuse. Um, he's Bob Chesney is is you know, rumored to be going to a big school. You know, if he doesn't follow Chesney, or if Chesney just decides, you know, doesn't get another job, does he stay back? Does he stay at Holy Cross, or does he? end up at the FBS. There, there are some really good guys that end up just staying with their head coaches. Cam Ward, you know, ended up going with his head with his head coach who ended up being the offensive coordinator at Washington State and now is at North Texas. You know, I don't know if Cam Ward and if Cam Ward it's just the portal, you know, that's an you know, interesting one. I don't know if he's graduated yet though, but there's going this is going to take a lot of evaluation. Like people are going to have to trust their evals because there are it's not the, the 2020 class where you had Bonix, who's still an eval for Oregon, by the way, but a Bonix and Caleb Williams and Michael Penix and Cam Ward and like Dylan Gabriel, like that is like like 
we're not going to have that this year. That's not what this year's portal QB class, this year's portal QB class is going to be a, you know, how, how well can you eval? And it's one, how well can you eval? And two, how desperate do your big dogs get? Because I don't know how much USC or Notre Dame want to go with, you know, five-star fresh, five to four-star freshman quarterbacks. So, but I also don't know how much they're going to be willing to spend on, you know, a guy from Holy Cross, a guy from Toledo, a guy from Arkansas State. You know, I don't know how much they're going to be willing to spend for that at quarterback. So it's going to be interesting. So you get to Heklinski, and I think Jeremy Heklinski is going to be given every opportunity he can in order to win the starting job. You know, I've been really impressed with him. Like they think they are extremely high, like extremely, extremely, extremely high on him. And not to not a point of like, yeah, no, we think he'll be good in like, you know, two, three, four years, like, you know, like like this, like, like might might be the best person they've recruited at quarterback. You know, I don't think he's gonna ever get the fourth star because he's about the same height as John Walford. Uh, he's a little, he's a little short. Uh, he's taller than Mitch Griffiths, but he's he's a little short. Um, so I don't know if he and he doesn't use his legs like guys would. You got like you think guys should at that height if you're in the NFL. But I've been really impressed the fact that he hasn't thrown picks this year. Knock on wood before his next playoff game. You know that's that was the biggest thing for me was you know he played a lot like Hartman in terms of you know he would put the ball in considerable risk and you know he had 12 picks last year and you know, really got away with some this year. I mean, he's gotten away with a couple, but he only has one interception over like a healthy amount of passes. So he's cut that down. You know, I, I thought that the, the accuracy is still, I want that to be cleaned up a little bit, but he is, he's improved in terms of ball security this year. I've really, I've had, so I think he's going to have every chance he can get. He's early enrolling. I'm going to the weight. He's going to need to put on some weight. You know, he's going to need to, he's going to have a few cookout trays. It'll be fine. We seem to be one injury away from serious trouble in basketball. <laughs> Interested to know what your thoughts are in turn. Death, one of our stars without of action, what that impact could have. Uh, biggest loss would be likely if you had the four or five unit coverage and there would be only one AC. Yeah, I think AC is your, your most important player right now. Like I think Hunter and Cam are obviously like the, the best right now, but I think AC is more important. If you if AC goes down, you're done. I think you I think you can honestly survive without one of Cam or Hunter. It's AC and Boopy because I don't think you have another true point guard right now. Shout out. And then one of Cam Hunter. Like obviously if both go down, you're screwed, but you can't afford card being down. Clawson and Wick Forest are a perfect fit. However, if you could change any decision he's made in his tenure, they believe has negatively impacted the program. What would it be? I, I think it's just staying too much on the the hopefuls at Defensive coordinator and linebacker, you know, I and I definitely thought like, you know, I, I still I still been under the impression that a lot of stuff that you know happened to lie on that end defense wasn't necessarily bad play calling or bad situations, it's just lack of depth. But you know, I think just having an inexperienced guy dealing with that lack of depth really hurt them. And I think the fact I mean, like I said earlier, Glenn Spencer just at linebacker just completely changed the entire realm of things. Like I think if you have competent linebacker play, I think you beat UNC in 2021 and 2022 2020 as well but you know i think the offense definitely had you know get a first down in both 2020 and 2021 games get one more first down and you win that game but you know they also just didn't have competent linebackers and i think not having competent linebackers is something that's really really hard in this in this league and in the style of defense and so i think just having some projects that linebacker i you know he took gambles and you know i i understand why he did it but uh, he got it. I, I wish that. And I, I mean, he, I, I think they embraced, I think they embraced NIL just too late. Like, I think that's obviously the big thing. I think as a school, Wake Forest just embraced NIL too late. Um, I don't, that's not what happened with Kenny and stuff, but I think if you embraced it a little earlier, you, you might not be here where you are today. Pretend you're Coach Clawson. What specific actions are you taking this off season? to improve your football team. I, this is going to be the most anti wake forest statement I've ever said in my entire life. Uh, you're, you gotta make your mistakes leave. You've, you've got to make your mistakes leave. You've, you've got to get the, the reason people like Jamal Banks and Michael, 
Jurgens and Devontae Gordon and Keyshawn Williams and all of these guys that are good came back to school, whether it was last year or the year before, was because they wanted their Wake Forest degree. So the same reason that those good guys are coming back is the same reason that guys who aren't performing, whether it's now their third, fourth, fifth year, and they've been given ample opportunity to, you know, win a starting job or just honestly just be playable at their position and haven't over and have whether it's been injuries, whether it's been, you know, three years or just straight bad play. You got to make your mistakes leave. Um, you know, you're never going to be able to make all of them leave. And that, you know, I don't, I, I'm very sensitive to this because you know, getting forced out of your scholarship is not a, it's not a fun conversation. You know, the portal isn't fun. The portal is, you know, some people just straight up get lost there and don't end up, you know, I want people to get their people to get their degrees and, you know, have successful lives after football. Like that's really, really important to me. And I think that, and I know that's really important to Dave and I know that's really important to Wake Forest as a whole. That being said, I mean, you still have, if the fact that you have dead weight on the, on the roster, like you're not able to be able to, you know, get all of them out before the season goes. But the fact that, you know, you have a ton of it on there and now you're struggling. It's like, yeah, I wish I wouldn't have recruited a a freshman off to Flyman when I could have gotten someone off the portal. I'm not saying the freshman OL is bad, but it's like because I have dead weight on these other spots around around my roster, I can't use that to the portal. Or I also couldn't use that for another freshman last year or the year before that possibly could have helped us now. And so it's just kind of a snowball effect from there. So that that would be... I wouldn't be ruthless and just cut everybody, but I mean, you got, there's some, there are some tough conversations. You just got to be like, look, you can't, you can't be here next year. You like, we, we will fit, we will help you find a place, but you, you can't be here next year. That's, that's just the business. And you can't want someone to win and also for them not to like that, that happen. Like that, that happens every single place. So like I said, a Duke and Stanford and Wake, like, you know, some are going to stay more longer than you, they probably, need to be on a football team because they just won't be contributors there. But, you know, the more, the more you can limit it, the better. Uh, at one point you say you were really bullish on 2024 with football. Has that changed after the season? Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, yeah, your offense stinks. Your offense sucks. Um, schedule played a lot into that. And so, you know, I, you know, I want to go back to the drawing board and figure out, you know, what this team is going to look like. This year, well, excuse me, next year in 2024, the schedule, I want to go back through the schedule and, and look and see, you know, what those guys lose, what they don't lose. I had a pretty good idea of what those teams were going to lose going into this year. And now, obviously, with adding Stanford and Cal and SNU, i got to recalibrate, you know, people, people, you know, went above expectations. Some people failed to meet expectations, including Wake Forest. So I got to go back and do that before I can go on high, low, yes, no on the next year. Uh, the last question, you know, do you think Wake takes double digits in the portal this offseason? No, no. I mean, they're never going to. Um, if I had a second thing I'd do as Dave Glosson, I'd go to every head of the department and just say, how much do I have to pay you for you guys to just to stop this? It is utterly absurd the fact that it is utterly absurd for the fact that you have these professors that, you know, Clemson does not transfer to the ACC, like does not transfer to Wake Forest. Think about that. An ACC team that is like an hour, that's what, like an hour and a half, two hours away from you, that's a solid school. Their credits don't transfer like Delaware does, but Illinois doesn't. And you fact, you don't have to know, you don't know who does unless you've already been through the process with that school until like two weeks after they've enrolled. That's insane. That's categorically insane. Just a, just a dumb process. And that's what happened to Casey Washington was he got here. Got, got accepted, enrolled, went through like two weeks of spring camp, and then found out two weeks in his credits weren't transferring over. And so then he wouldn't be eligible. And so he's like, dude, I'm not going to be eligible. I'm going to go back to, to Illinois. So I just don't think they're going to be they, – there just aren't that I, – I don't know how many of those guys that are playable and they're at the spots they need or that are going to add up to 10. I sit in probably in the 6 to 8 range. I think they're going to have some space. So – it's going to be, I think it'll be in the 68, in 68 range. So, went about an hour, a little longer than I wanted to, but I'm going to leave you guys with this. First, if you got rumors, 
feel free to put in my way. <laughs> like, it's not, not like, hey, I need more information. It's more if I, I more information is better than no information. So, you know, people tell me stuff. Sometimes it pans out. Sometimes it doesn't. That's just, that's this business. That being said, and this is not meant to single out any other per, any person specifically. So please, if if you feel some sort of way, I am saying this generally just from what I've learned over the last four to five years. Be careful with the rumors you hear. Be careful. Not from a spreading it around perspective, because I mean, everyone talks, that's fine. But make sure you gauge what's like, what's going on here. I cannot tell you. So it's, we're, we're years past this. I had from multiple like people that have gotten things way early and way more right than, than before that told me after 2020, Sam Hartman cleaned out his locker and was going to leave Wake Forest. Obviously, Sam Hartman did not clean out his locker and did not leave Wake Forest after the 2020 season. I've heard about, you know, Taylor Marin. I've heard it about so many people on like different, differing teams. And then you go talk to them and you're like, and, and like, and the thing is like on the record, everyone's going to be like, no, 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 no. But like on the, on the record, I mean, off the record, some people are like, we'll, we'll tell you straight up. And so and like you talk to people and you're like, like what the hell are you talking about? Like, what is this? Be careful. It's we're we're about to be in player still season where you're always hear whispers of this family's not happy, this player is not happy. We are in we are in player silly season right now. And the portals are gonna open up in a couple weeks and it's going to be hell. By the time this goes up, I think maybe a little bit afterwards, um, we're doing at 247 Sports and at Timmy Deacon Digest, we're doing an off-season outlook. You know, over the next few days, going to kind of break down, you know, what the roster probably is going to look like in terms of returnees, you know, possible pro departures, transfer candidates, et cetera. And so there are going to be some names that are going to suck. There are going to be some names that are going to excite you that are coming, that are, you know, I've, I've been told like, you know, strong chance they're coming back. Be careful with the rumors. Okay. Just, just be careful with them. Everyone, everyone thinks they're in the know, and and you know some people are in the know more than than you think. But just just be careful with them. We're already in silly season. It's the same sort of thing like the coaches of figuring out. Oh my God, who's going to get hired? Who has an agenda? Who doesn't have an agenda? We're going to keep you guys in the loop. We'll be here to digest. As, as there's going to be some stuff that surprises. There's always there's always surprises like that happens. But you know, we're we're gonna we're gonna keep you in the loop. And we're going to go through this together. We're going to hold, we're going to hold hands and we're right after the sunset. I love y'all. Thank you guys so much for listening. And as always, good eeks.